0: Week, Mark started us off. He he showed us the talked about the majesty that was born in something as average and as rustic as a manger. And today I want to talk about the wonder, the awe found in the choice of God to inhabit or invest something as uh, personal to us as a human body. The whole idea of welcoming the mystery, it seems to me. It's a good way to draw this year to a close as we welcome in the Christmas season. And the reason is a lot of these last couple of years have been mystery, amen? <laughs> um, there's just been a lot more questions than answers in the world that we now inhabit. When will this be over? What's my next move? Where should I put my energy right now? This is an incredible move of people just to quit their jobs, to quit them <laughs> on... Facebook or on social media and tell their bosses about it later. Um, An article that I read on Friday said it this way. Uncertainty has always been a part of our lives in one way or another, but it's difficult to imagine a time when it's taken center stage in this many ways and for such an extended period of time. So we've been carrying these questions, and now here comes Christmas, this big mysterious uh, story about a time when God came down to earth and walked among us for the sake of our salvation. I mean, talk about mystery. But what if we were to reframe it? So it's not just one more question in the midst of a bunch of other questions. But, but, but it's a perspective shift. We, we get our heads out of the, same, the, the, the stale sameness of the Christmas story and out of the feels. And we see it for what it is. This is what the revelation that came to me last week. Christmas is not an old story, but an eternal mystery. Christmas is not an old story, but an eternal mystery. That's where I want us to sort of settle this month. Christmas is not an old story. It's an eternal mystery. And it's given to us to reveal the life and the truth of of, God. God. So I want you to look with me at John chapter 1, who writes about this mystery so gloriously. John chapter 1, um, if you've, the best way to engage the message is with the Bible, something to write on, something to write with, so pull your Bible out, get something to write on. That that statement should be the top of your page. Christmas is not an old story, but an eternal mystery. And then we're just going to look at the first five stories and then skip to verse 8, I mean sorry, the first five verses and then skip to verse 18. In the beginning, John writes, was the Word, and the Word was with God. He's trying so desperately to explain this mystery. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that's been made. In him was life. And that life was the light of all mankind, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness does not overcome it. So God presented himself in a a shape that we can understand, wrapped himself in skin we could touch. Jesus was the Word made flesh, an explanation with skin on of the mystery of God. In fact, I think that's a good definition of the word incarnation, which is the you know, big word to sort of explain this coming of Christ. Incarnation describes um, how God came to earth in human form. The incarnation happened so that the mystery of God could be explained in human terms. The incarnation of, of, explains how the mysteries of God came to us in human form. An explanation with skin on. Jesus is. God in a body, just the right size, given at just the right time. The wrapping was flesh. The gift inside was the Word. Jesus is the Word made flesh. And John tells us in the opening sentences of his book that his Word was with God from the very beginning, which means that Jesus was not an afterthought of God. He's not God's last-minute Christmas gift. Nor was he someone that we humans tried after the fact to stuff into a box called Messiah so we could wrap the concept up in nice, neat terms. You know, That's the tendency. We want to wrap Jesus up according to our own needs and on our own terms. And so we, we, we grab one piece of him. Maybe you like the fact that Jesus was a good teacher, that, that um, he told good stories and the morality he taught was good. Or maybe you connect with Jesus the healing, the healer, with the or with the compassionate Jesus, the one who could not walk past the least among us without noticing them. Maybe for you, it's the suffering Jesus, the one who did not forget your sin and shame but gave Himself to cover it. All these are legitimate faces of Jesus and honest ways of connecting with Him. But beneath all of that, much broader than all of that, is the grand mystery which has been prepared for us from the beginning, the Word made flesh, God with us, truth and grace in a person. Thomas Merton is one of my spiritual heroes. He was a monk who lived in the 20th century, probably his most well-known in the 50s and 60s because of all that he wrote. After living as a monk for some years, uh, Merton... Uh, he, first he was, uh, led all the novices, the new monks who came into the monastery. And then he announced to his, um, to his monastery one day that he was going to become a hermit. I mean, a real hermit. (laughs) I I heard him talk about it on a tape one time. He he said, the, the, the monastery needs a hermit. And so I'm willing to become one. Who says that? I mean, (laughs) all the introverts in the room are probably thinking, okay, maybe I can do that. um, but he was actually called to be a hermit. And God used him as a hermit. It was actually brilliant. It forced all of Merton's creative energy, all his brilliance and the faith and the thoughts of God. The hermitage forced all of that through the tip of a pin. And now, because um, he was kind of over decades or a couple of decades wrote so much in that hermitage. We have all these volumes of Merton's prophetic wisdom on paper, and it it can far outlast his life. I think John the Revelator, John who who saw the revelation of God and, and wrote the book of Revelation, I think the same thing happened to him the crime of preaching the gospel he was exiled to the island of patmos and and without right in that exile without distraction in the presence of god he experienced this incredible revelation and with no other way to tell it to the to the church he all of that revelation that profound revelation that we get at the end of the bible it was all forced through the tip of a pin so that his revelation could then feed Billions of people. And I think about what God did with the incarnation of Jesus. How he allowed himself to be God. I'm talking about how God allowed himself to be isolated from eternity and the unhindered kingdom and of how Mary became, listen, kind of a pen through which the living word was forced. Mary said, Thomas Merton says this about Mary he says she crowns him not with what is glorious but with what is greater than glory the one thing greater than glory is weakness nothingness poverty that's what God did for us God became us the word that was with God, the word that was God, eternally begotten of the Father, God from God, light from light, true God from true God, not made of one being with the Father, through him all things were made. That God for us and for our salvation came down from heaven, was incarnate, which means embodied in the flesh, Of the Holy Spirit and the Virgin Mary, all of God, eternal and perfect, forced into time and space through the body of a woman, one being in whom the divine and human natures are inseparably and perfectly united. All God, all human, that is our Lord Jesus Christ. Come on, people. He is a mind-blowing mystery, not meant to be understood, so much as welcomed and known. So when we talk about welcoming the mystery of Christ in this season, what we're really asking of each other is that, that Christ would be known to us. Not just know about him, but know him in a deeper, more intimate, more personal way. Do you know Jesus? Or do you just know the stuff they told you in Sunday school? Do you know him? Because he came for us and for our salvation. I want you to skip down to John 1.18. This is the verse I want you to really hear. We're going to read this together. I want you to hear it as we read it. Ready? Go. No one has ever seen God, but the one and only Son, who is Himself God, and is in closest relationship with the Father, has made Him known. Whew. No one has ever seen God, but Jesus made him known. So we just say this together. Say this together. Jesus makes the mystery knowable. Say it again. Jesus makes the mystery knowable. Jesus makes the mystery of God's plan knowable that's the real value of incarnation the word made flesh in his human form Jesus makes the mystery knowable Jesus is the perfect expression of the one true God which means we can know God come on that's amazing we can know God that God is really like Jesus and Jesus is pretty awesome He shows us the character of God, his goodness, his servant heart, his his love for creation, his courage, his power, his everything. God is really like Jesus. That's the point of the incarnation is to show us the heart of God. In Jesus, we have seen the heart of God. In Jesus, we have seen the heart of God. And anyone who looks at Jesus can't help but say, oh, We need more Jesus. <laughs> Even people who aren't particularly interested in Jesus would say, We need more Jesus. Right about now, we need more Jesus. Amen. I've told this story before, I'm going to tell it again. About Carl Medeiros. He's a missionary, he was a missionary. Uh, in Lebanon for about 12 years. He, he is a, um, an expert at Arab-American relations and about Muslim-Christian relations. He lived in Lebanon, as I said, for 12 years. In his book, Muslims, Christians, and Jesus, Medeiros talks about going to a meeting with some really, I mean, he, he was hanging out with high-level high leaders in Lebanon, people who are members of the parliament. And he talks about going to visit with this guy who was a member of the parliament, Mosin, was his name, um, and, and this was a Sunni Muslim guy, and so they're talking, and in the course of the conversation, um, Mosin asked Medeiros what he did, and of course, in that part of the world, you're not quick to say you're a missionary, and so usually Madeiras would say other things, but that day just came to him for the first time he, he'd ever thought of it. He, he said to this guy, I'm a hope broker, and Mosin said, what is that? He said, I, I deal hope. Mosin was inspired, you know, because things in Lebanon at that moment were not particularly good. And so he asked, well, um, what do you do? How do you, how do you deal hope? So, he, uh, you know, where do you get it? Where do you get the hope? And Madeira said, well, it's so simple. It's just so simple. It's almost silly. A few of us get together and we pray. Every week, we get together every week and, and we, we've, we try to pray for the country. We, we're a mix of Muslims and Christians and Druze. Druze are a sect of Islam. We all say we believe in a God who saves people. And so we thought we would just start where we could agree with prayer. And then he said, but I'll tell you, lately, we've... Um, We've realized we need more than prayer. We need something to sort of bind us together, something to focus on, to study. So we decided to study the life of a great person that we could all agree on. We're still trying to figure out who that is. And he asked Mosin, do you you have any suggestions for us? And Mosin came up with, you know, the typical suspects, Gandhi and then Mother Teresa. And then finally he just pounded his fist on the desk and he said, I've got it. It's Jesus. You, you could you could study Jesus. Muslims love Jesus. Druze love Jesus. Even Christians love Jesus. He said it just like that. And then Mosin asked Madeiras if he would start a second group with members of the Chinese excuse me the, the Lebanon Parliament with members of the Lebanese Parliament. And so they did. They started a study of the Gospel of Luke in the Lebanese Parliament. And that little group of Lebanese. Leaders studying Jesus together, about 14 of them. It wasn't, it didn't change the world, but I can guarantee you it changed a Muslim. You know, it might give him a whole different look into the heart of God because, see, the the Muslim world worships a God with no image of Jesus embedded in it. No image of Jesus. In fact, Randy, uh, Wilkinson sent me an article. This has been going on for a while. But did you know that Jesus is starting to bypass the middleman and just show up to Muslims directly? <laughs> in, in dreams and visions, Jesus is showing up to, to, to Muslims and they are becoming Christians just on the image of Jesus. Without Jesus, there's no hope, no grace. No personal redemption. By his wounds, we're healed. That's what Isaiah, the prophet, tells us. So if those Muslims are studying the life of Jesus, maybe they'll begin to see the heart of the Father because, listen, Jesus walks us straight into the heart of God. In Jesus, we've seen our salvation. We have seen our salvation in Jesus. I believe with all I am that the heart of Jesus cries out for your salvation. And and I believe with all I am that the heart of Jesus cries out for the salvation of people you cry out for. And that the heart of Jesus cries out much deeper, much more passionately than you could ever cry out for people you love. The heart of Jesus grieves the wounds you've sustained. And while he's chosen to allow suffering, even within his own church, he proves his love for us by coming personally, intimately, involved in our our redemption. Jesus comes and he touches and he gives life and he gives faith and he offers mercy One of my favorite phrases from Thomas Merton, from all those things that he wrote, one of my favorite phrases is the Christ of the burnt people. He talks about the one separated from Jesus by brokenness. For the for the burnt people Christ came. For the burnt people, he was burned himself, seared by the hatred of humanity. For the burnt people, he stood in the gap so he could be our bridge into the very presence of God where we now stand, holy and blameless because of the flesh and blood of Jesus Christ. He came for the burnt people. Do you know how... How deeply we all are to cry out for the burnt people in our lives. and Especially for young people right now who are feeling hopeless. So that they can hear, he came for you. Christ in you. I love the way Paul puts it. He said, this is the secret of life. Colossians chapter 1. This is the secret of life. Christ in you, the hope of glory. Because Christ is the only one who can take the burned out, burned up people and give their lives meaning again. Christ in you. Christ in you. And when Christ comes to us, then our call is to become the incarnation. So how do you embody Christ? How are you walking out the mystery that you've welcomed into your life? How are you making it knowable? It doesn't require you to know everything about everything. Thank God for that. I think it's a dangerous way to live, thinking you know everything about everything. And that's what we've been requiring of each other lately, isn't it? These last couple of years, we're asking everybody to know everything about politics, about how viruses work, about medicine, about science. You know, you go online and people speak with such certainty about things they can't possibly know about. And and about race relations. We're asking children to understand the subtleties of gender. We're asking politicians to become doctors and economists. And we're asking pastors to become virologists. And anyone who doesn't know all the answers is harshly judged or worse yet, criticized. I read this uh, I follow this person online whose, um, whose father was arrested, a pastor arrested um, for some things that, immoral things he did. And she, her faith survived that. And she says, here's what we want from the Christmas story. We want it to be clean. We want the story of Jesus to be black and white, all fitting into a nice little box you know, the, we want our Christmas story to fit into a storebook window, a, story, sorry, a storefront window, or a storybook that children read. But Jesus did not come clean. I mean, anybody who's given birth can say amen to that. Birth is not clean. Birth is on the. Jesus' birth was on the dirt floor of a cave. It had to be inglorious, dirty, painful, desperate, bloody, but there there was nothing clean about it. All of heaven forced through the body of a woman so that Jesus can say to you and me, I am the answer to all your questions. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the Christ of the burnt people. I am the heart of God. Jesus makes the mystery knowable, and if you will welcome the mystery into your flesh, Jesus invites, he says, I will live in you like an explosion, and you will experience far beyond your flesh what I bring into the world. No one has ever seen God, but... The one and only Son, who is himself God, is in closest relationship with the Father, has made him known. So we welcome the mystery into our lives, and then we become conduits through which the mystery flows into the world. How are you making the mystery known? Do you understand the power? Do you understand the power of the incarnation? He lives in you. He lives in you. I'm going to ask you to stand right now. Marianne Williamson says this, our our deepest fear is not that we are inadequate. Our deepest fear is that we are powerful beyond measure. You are a child of God, and that is powerful. That is powerful. Your playing small does not serve the world. There is nothing enlightened about shrinking so other people won't feel secure or insecure around you. Do you hear me? There is nothing uh, enlightened about shrinkings your life down so that other people won't feel insecure around you. We are born to make manifest the glory of God that is within us. And as we let our light shine, others come to know, not just know about, but know Jesus. So I want to ask you to bow your head and close your eyes. I want you to just ask Jesus this question. In this place of prayer, I want you to ask him, Lord, do I know you? Do I really know you? I mean, I I guess I've learned some things in Sunday school. I, I know about you. I know what I've read. But do I know you? I'm asking you to search yourself right now in the presence of God, in conversation with Jesus. Do I know you? Do I know you the way you deserve to be known? Have I embraced you? Have I encountered you the way you deserve to be known? And Are there ways in my life that I have sort of dumbed myself down, dumbed down my faith, dumbed down my encounter with you so that I would not any way offend a world that is in desperate need of your hope. In desperate need of the incarnate word. The word made flesh. Are there ways, God, where I have pulled back from offering a fair account of the gospel through my body, through my being, through my witness? Jesus. Jesus. Do I know you? Do I know you? If I do, Lord, how would you have me bear you to the world? I Pray, God, for my friends that this Christmas the story would not just be an old story, but an eternal mystery that would come to us in that way. And I pray, God, for my friends that... You, Jesus, would make the mystery knowable to us in a fresh way. I pray, God, for my friends that we would would come to experience you in such a way that we become explosive, our faith becomes explosive, that we become overwhelmed by you. I I thank you for coming into our lives and into this world. I thank you, God. You are Christ for the burnt people. I am one of them. I thank you that you came. I thank you that you came. Jesus. Thanks for taking the time to listen to our message. If you live in the area and are looking for a church home, we'd love to see you. Visit us or check out our website at mosaicchurchevans.org for more information. May God bless your day.